you will, turn back in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 25. Get whatever lesson you can out of this. Get whatever lesson you can out of this. The reason the Old Testament is not preached through much, this is not something new. It's been going on for decades, way before my birth. Very seldom do churches actually work exegetically and consistently through the Old Testament. Everything I'm saying means something, and particularly to the generation that will be taking our place if we should be able to steward a departure from this world with the truth in their hands. Not sure what this world is going to look like 30 years from now. What we do know is that what was written, which we have in the depository of truth, was written to be a mirror and a map. You miss the mirror, you can't see. You miss the map, you don't know where you're going. And the Old Testament is a map and grid to be laid upon this era in which we live in order for us to know the parallels between the old and the new and the distinctions that the New Testament brings to bear on the old. Now, you don't want to be found being an Old Testament Christian, but you definitely want to know the Old Testament so that you can see Christianity in it. But you don't want to be trapped by the lie that the Old Testament system frames to show you how men and women fall prey to all kinds of things that are going on in my generation right now. It's very important for you to know what it means to be Christocentric. Otherwise, you and I are going to fall prey to the same things these men and women called the Israelites did. They did then and they're still trapped now. All right, so what we're looking at is the final encampment. This is the final journey. They're done circling through the wilderness. They're in the regions of Moab. They are in a auspicious area that I want to talk about as a foundation. This plane is going to take some time taking off because you need to get the points and understand the implications application. They're there. This is it. Moses will not tell them to pack up the tabernacle with all of its paraphernalia and the different tribes that were um, assigned to it, the Kohathites and the Gershonites, Gershonites, etc. This is it. The tabernacle will be right here. Here, Jehovah is symbolically at the brink of bringing Israel over into the promised land. And the 12 tribes are symbolically encompassing the Ark of the Covenant about so that all of the nations that are living on the perimeter of crossing over Jordan into the promised land or living in that region where Israel is called uh, Shittim right now, they all see Israel. They all see an army. They also also see the citadel of their God in the center in the Ark of the Covenant. I, I want you to comprehend that. Like they're all watching what's about to happen. And many of them are disturbed, as you and I have already learned. Israel has been prepared for 40 years. The old rebels have died. That represents your fallen nature. No flesh shall glory in God's sight. The new people will go in. That represents the spirit of the living God and the cause of the new birth. Men and women enter into the kingdom of God by being what? Born again. You must be born again. So babies enter into the blessings of the spiritual promises, not the arrogant old folk who think they know everything. 
That's why they died in the wilderness. And so in New Testament theology would tell us that the flesh and the spirit are constantly at war. And the edict is that mortification must bring the flesh into death so that the spirit can reign over the body and bring us into the promises of God. Did y'all get that? So when you think about all these folk dying in the wilderness, just think about your flesh dying. That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Does that come home? Right. And and we should know something about that as children of God. You live in the paradoxical reality of the body going down while the soul goes up. My outward man is perishing and my inward man is being renewed day by day. See the correlation? Raise your hand if you see the correlation. I just need to know if folk in the house are keeping up with me because this is how you read your Bible. Okay, your Bible is one divine truth given by one God through one mediator, Jesus, and dispensed by one paraclete, the Holy Ghost. So the message has a continuity through it that's very clear for us. So while we should be disturbed by the framing of what has occurred, and I'm going to see if I can help you understand the disturbance. The reality is, is according to Numbers chapter 24, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. So he's going to make good what he declared. But there are all kind of forces that are going to stop that or attempt to stop it. Does that make sense? Right. You and I must know, therefore, there is a continual unending warfare and battle going on. That's why our sub point after a rise, move and go is the final what? The final battle. So I'm not going I'm not going to overburden you with the reality that we're dealing with an Armageddon motif here. I'm not going to overburden you. But for those of you who are rooted and grounded in Christ, you can see illusions But I want you to understand what's going on here so you can understand the nature of the battle. First of all, I'm going to say it like this because I'm laying a foundation here. This is Moses' final shepherding encounter with these crazy people. You don't know, but Moses already been told he's not going over. He might as well get ready to transfer authority. Chapter 27 of this same book, he'll be given the authority over the Joshua. Now, for a minute, I just want you to think with me. When you got a job where you have to actually navigate and negotiate 1.5 million crazy people and your term is up. and You got about three weeks before you go on vacation. Shouldn't you have some kind of sort of uh, semi joy along with sorrow with that? You better believe It's so because for Moses to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As much as he loved God's people, he's going into his inheritance. And can you imagine it? These folks are right up on the brink, having been brought to the shore of the promises of God by God's servant Moses. And they want to still act an absolute fool. See, I feel good about Moses checking out. I really do. I understand the ambivalence here. He is no longer going to have to deal with that which would burden his heart because the people of God on this day have done something that we're going to call in this word. You know, some people don't like it, but get used to it. What's happening in chapter 25, I sum up under one word. It really encompasses your first point. It moves gradually, phonetically, and then also in terms of homonyms into your second and third point. The word is stupid. 
So just think it through, okay? Just think it through with me. You can laugh if you want to, but that's probably your middle name. All right, so learn something about being stupid. Now, stupidity comes with a whole lot of complicated factors. All I can say is that these people are on the break. Numbers 3349. Let me affirm that for people who really want to get Bible text. Listen to what what Moses says in Numbers 3349 as I keep going. And they pitch by Jordan. That means they're up on the river, right? Jordan is where they're going to cross. That's where they pitch for the final time from Beth Jeshimoth, even unto Abel what? Shittim. This is where we are. Shittim. Okay. Abel Shittim. That's where they are in the plains of what? All right. So you guys got some backdrop. You should understand the plains of Moab is a context of problems. Is it not? Didn't we just have a lengthy series for two to three chapters around the Moabites having a problem with Israel advancing in their purpose? Didn't we? So we have to keep that backdrop in mind because it's important for you and I to know, as I told you last week, when God has an assignment for you and he means for your assignment to be challenged by adversaries, he's calling you to go deeper in your faith not lower in it. He's calling you to draw near to God, not away from God. The notion that you and I shouldn't have troubles is so, it belies your ignorance of what Jesus did for you on the cross. So, you know, you and I are called to go through trouble so God can be glorified when we call upon him. And so this is really what's happening with the children of Israel in this particular account. And Numbers 33, 49 brings us to our 42nd encampment. This latest event in Numbers 25, which we're about to unpack here, however, can be called a catastrophic embarrassment of leadership. So for those of you who take notes, there it is. A catastrophic embarrassment of leadership. I want to make a distinction between leadership and the people, can I? Because today your media doesn't do that. I'm helping some people. Like my, my government does not represent me. If it did, I'd be in trouble, wouldn't I? So when you, when you overgeneralize and you homogenize people with their government, you're actually engaging in a distortion of reality. So you need to know how to put categories together properly so you can be just in your judgment. Am I making some sense? Right. And you'll see that in the account because God's not going to destroy everybody. He's only going to destroy those who have separated from God and joined Baal Peor. Okay, he explicitly lays this out in the Deuteronomical I'm going to talk about in a moment. God never just engages in arbitrary collective punishment. He's a just God. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Christians better learn their Bibles. And so I say here that we're dealing with a catastrophic embarrassment of what? Leadership. Right? Because as the leaders go, so shall the people go. Right. What we're dealing with is the weakness of the flesh. This is why Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, when he says what the law could not do and and, and because it was weak in the flesh. What that meant was the law can tell you what to do, but if you don't do it, the law can't make you do it. And that's one of the tensions you get in that Old Testament account. Moses gave them all the regulations, didn't he? And what Jesus said and what Paul said twice, Moses gave you the law and none of you keep it. 
Right, this is what you also need to know. You got to be able to separate the leadership from the people. You got to separate the law from the people. You can't make the law bad because the people are bad. And you can't make the people good because the law is good. Am I making some sense? All right, I'm going to be teaching you today so you can learn something in order to put a proper grid on where you are today, lest you be guilty of being an Old Testament Christian, which is an oxymoron. So as we continue to work this through, I want you to understand that the problem that national Israel is going to have consistently working from the wilderness into the promised land is that they're going to strive to become like all the other nations. Did that make some sense? And this last event is going to be a physical, practical scandal that actually represents a larger, more endemic problem with Israel. And that will be this. Israel could never understand that its fundamental job was priestly and that its expression as a nation was one of a standard that would be different than the world. But when they saw the kings of Bashan and the kings of the Canaanites and the kings of the pagan rulers, what did they say? We want a king like everybody else. But then not only did they want a government that was really set up in a secular pagan construct, they actually wanted the benefits that came with these different cultural practices. Fundamentally, idolatrous worship that gave license for perversion at the level of sexual promiscuity. We already learned that, didn't we? In other words, if y'all keeping up with me, what's happening in Numbers chapter 25, are y'all ready? All of these crazy people are becoming Balaamites. Did that come home? All of these people we're dealing with are becoming Balaamites. Let me give you a little bit more backstory. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1 says this. If I have a teammate keeping up with listen to what this says. Numbers 25, verse 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit what? Whoredom with the daughters of, Moab, of the Moabites. You don't know anything until that verse is what we call exegetically explained, because you don't know what it means by the people. You don't know what it means by engaging with the daughters. You need that explained. And of course, the f- furthering of the passages do a bit of a job with that. But we do have an adumbration here. Israel abode in Shittim and the people began to commit whoredoms with the daughters of Moab. You know what that means? That means that that snake turned into a scorpion in the wilderness and whereas he tried to get him with his mouth, God wouldn't let that happen. He got him with his tail. All right, so I'm going to just explain a few things for you. In the wilderness, God told you you're going to be dealing with snakes and scorpions, didn't he? All right, so now what's the difference between a snake and a scorpion in terms of their capacity to poison you or kill you? One uses his mouth, the other uses his tail. So for people that are listening to me carefully, sometimes the enemy comes at you with a frontal attack and you can handle that if God intervenes like he did for Israel. Did he not intervene? Right. And for for all intents and purposes, in chapter 22, 23 and 24, Israel was oblivious to that warfare. God was fighting that battle for him. And often God is fighting the battle for you while you are oblivious to the warfare. Am I making some sense? 
didn't I teach you that Moab was looking down from the top upon Israel and was trying to curse them from every angle from the top. They were oblivious to that whole Balaam and Balak, uh, as we would call collaboration. They were ignorant of it. Nevertheless, if God hadn't intervened, divination and witchcraft and enchantment and demons and devils and witches would have been unleashed on the people of God. God is good, is he not? I love this. This is absolutely crazy. When I say that the people have become Balaam, I told you that because Peter said in 2 Peter around verse 16 or 17 that the prophet became mad, didn't he? He went insane. I told you in the Greek, that means to be outside of your body. You know, when you lose your mind. Well, Israel here has lost their mind. Have they not lost their mind? They have straight up lost their mind. I'm giving you some more backdrop so you can see it. They've lost their mind because they were not aware that the fiercest part of the battle was up on them because they were just that close to entering into the promise. And they stepped so far out of character that they have publicly engaged in open rank idolatry and fornication at the highest levels of government. Do you see it? You didn't lost your mind. This is why. The first point is a stupid decision. Yes, that great theologian, Forrest Gump, said it. (laughs) Stupid is as stupid does. That's simple theology, isn't it? You shall know them by their fruits. Now, if we were to actually deal with that word more properly so you can go away with a little something, stupid simply means to lack, to lack intelligence. It's the absence of common sense. That's what stupid is. It's when you lack intelligence, it's the absence of common sense. It's the absence of sound reasoning. And sometimes it's a temporary sort of stroke that happens to us, right? Every now and then we get stupid. Would you agree? All right, so be, be humble here. God will save you. Like, like save people are humble people. Every now and then we have a stroke of insanity and get stupid. Is that true? But then some of us actually have long extended stays in the hotel of stupidity. Long extended stays, right? This is when we know we got to go talk to somebody because we got to get some help with the long extended stay in the holiday stupid, right? And then there are others who are perpetually pathologically stupid. Now your Bible calls stupidity moronic, Your Bible calls stupidity foolishness. Your Bible says the fool saith in his heart there is no God. There's nothing more stupid than that. Okay, because if there is no God, then ultimately you're going to default to yourself as God. You're going to be your own ruler, your own governor. You're going to walk in your own wisdom and your own humility or your own righteousness. Am I making some sense? So your Bible doesn't put up with fools well. Can't we tell by our text? And this is why you and I need to be very careful because a fool is someone who can easily be fooled. So, you know, as a Christian, you may think you're sharp, but what if in reality you can easily be manipulated, easily coerced, easily distracted? Easily taken off the court. What if you're the kind of Christian that somebody can pierce through your armor and poke you in your psyche or touch you in your emotions and the next thing you're off point? Am I making some sense? Then you can be made to be a fool. 
And then you can buy into ideas that don't correspond with reality. And then you can succumb to lies. Am I making some sense? So what I'm trying to help us do here at Grace is make sure you don't think that you have the right every time we come or go from this place to go, this is somebody else's problem. See, you and I need grace to not continue being the fool and the ignorant person in the text. Let me see if I can unpack this a little more. Why did I say that... um, that, that Balaam is really the problem here. In Numbers 31, we've already said the Midianitish women actually took counsel from Balaam. Didn't we learn that? Look at Numbers chapter 31. It's going to tell us in verse 16. Numbers, 30, uh, yeah, Numbers 31, verse 16. Listen to it. Behold, go back to verse 15, please. I want them to get it just in case they don't. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, uh, have you saved all the women alive? They're going after the Midianites. And as they went after the Midianites, which we're going to talk about here in a moment, they saved a lot of them. And here's what God says in verse 16. Listen. Behold, these caused the children of Israel. They are the direct proponents of the scandal. But watch this. Through the council of Balaam. That's the mediatorial mechanism. What did Balaam do? Balaam caught up with Balak and said, here, here is how we will get the children of Israel. And then he entered into a contract, if you will, a treaty with the women of Midian in order to catch the children of Israel in the context of false worship and idolatrous whoredom. Did that make some sense to you guys? It's important for you to get, listen to it, to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Let's go back to our text. I want to work something out with you before we really unpack points one, two, and three. What's going on in our context, uh, Balaam has just finished his engagement with Balak, right? Balak has really tried to get Balaam to help him to curse the children of Israel. And the Bible tells us over in Numbers 24, verse 1, these words. Listen to Numbers 24. And Balaam rose up and, and, and when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as other times to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the what? That means that from chapter 22 to 24, he had, listen to me now, set up three camps where he offered seven oxen and seven sheep to divinate against the people of God. Do you guys remember that? And I'm just going to tell it to you. You can go back to chapter 24 and get it for yourself. That brother wanted to get what? Paid. And I'm trying to help you not to be deceived by false prophets. Because every time he set up these seven oxen and seven sheep to call on demons, the text tells us that God put a word in his mouth. What does that mean? God was sovereign and not only stopping Balaam from calling on demons, but he put his own word in Balaam's mouth so that Balaam actually only said what God wanted to be said. Now, this ticked Balak off. And then finally, Balak is frustrated with him. Look at Numbers chapter, the last verse of Numbers chapter 23. Listen to it. Listen how the last uh, two verses of Numbers 23 go. And Balaam, go back to verse 24, because uh, I, want, I want to get this down right. And uh, he's, he's, he's quoting a prophecy concerning Israel. You know what? Start at chapter 24, verse 1 and 2. I'll come here in a moment. I want you to get this. Balaam has 24, 1 and 2. There we go. Balaam has now... 
for the final time, tried to curse Israel. And here's what God does in putting a word in Balaam's mouth. And I want you to catch these verses because this is the context for what we're about to deal with now in chapter 25. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as at other times, right? Now notice, it says when Balaam saw that it pleased not God to curse Israel. Now, shouldn't he have known in verse one? So what you're getting here is Balaam is still so incorrigible and so bent, but finally he's giving up and he's giving up doing it the way he's been doing it. He has not quit. Y'all understand? He's just giving up doing it the way he has been doing it. What did it say he did? He left the mountaintop where he tried to curse the people of God and he went down to the what? To the what? To the wilderness. Guess who's down in the wilderness? The people. Now look at the last verse of chapter 24, because this this will mean something. The last verse. This is quite something. Now, this is really interesting after uh, Balaam. You know what I need to do? I need to do Numbers 24, verse 4 through 6, because there is an essence of the prophecy I want you to get. Look at verse 4. He said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty, this is Balaam, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Sometimes the prophet would be uh, stigmatized by the spirit of God and they would be in a trance. The difference between a trance and a dream is that in a dream, your eyes are closed. In a trance, your eyes are open. Am I helping someone? But God has now seized Balaam again and Balaam has spoken eloquently for 20, what will be 23 verses about the blessed state of Israel. I want you to see these two verses because they're going to mean something to the temptation. Look at verse five. Look at verse five, numbers 24, five and six. How goodly are your what? Can you visualize Israel down in the valley? All of them got their tents popped up, as I told you before. And the tabernacle of the Lord is in the center of it. Notice what Balaam is saying. How goodly are your tents. He's under inspiration of the spirit of God. And he's seeing the people of God down in the valley through the eyes of God. I want you to keep seeing this. Watch this. And your tabernacles, O Israel. Verse six. Look at verse six. As the valleys are, they spread forth. As gardens by the riverside, as the trees of lying aloes, which the Lord hath planted, as cedar trees beside the waters. What is his, What is Balaam doing now? He's actually likening Israel in a paradisial state of going back to the Garden of Eden. The lens that Balaam, this false prophet has on, is given to him by God to see Israel the way God sees Israel in God's prophetic purposes for them. Now, is not God's prophetic purpose for all of us a new paradisial world? Is that not true, child of God? So really, one of the things we might take away from this before we go on is, how do you see the people of God? How do you see the promises of God in your own life? Do you see yourself in a wilderness or do you see yourself in the paradisial promises of God? That's good, isn't it? Because see, what I know is, according to the Bible, God hath blessed his people with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has made all grace to abound in our life so that we have everything we need anytime we call upon God. As far as I'm concerned, the people of God, according to Numbers 23, are people 
of whom God says, I have not found iniquity in Israel nor transgression in Jacob because God sees them, his elect, in the person of Christ. Am I making some sense? So it's really important for you and I to be able to see ourselves and the people of God the way God sees us. And what God did was let a pagan, hell-bound prophet speak better of Israel than Israel speaks of itself. Am I making some sense? So we're down in the wilderness. We're down in the valley. We're down uh, in the Negev as they're getting ready to cross over. And listen to the beautiful language. Verse 7 will be the last verse I look at. Then I want to make one more observation. He shall pour the waters out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. Who is he talking about here? Who is this king? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who are the seed, all of God's elect, from every nation, kindred, tribe and tongue, both of the Jews and of the Gentiles, one people of God. Y'all got that? It's very important for you to get what's going on here. So Balaam is beside himself in what he's saying, and Balak hates it. He hates it. Now go to verse 24, because I want to show you something as we go on. So God made uh, Balaam uh, make yield forth this prophecy. He says, ships shall come from the coast of Chittim. This here is going to have to do with the uh, Medo-Persians uh, transition from Medo-Persia to the Roman Empire and shall afflict Asher and afflict Eber and he shall also perish forever. These are the battles that are going to happen in the intertestament period. I'll teach you that later. Some of you already know this. Daniel saw this with the four beasts. Verse 25, Numbers 24, 25. Now watch this. Now Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. That was it. He's done. Y'all got that? Now we know where he's going to the wilderness, is he not? Now watch this. And Balak also what? Went his way. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen. The way chapter 24 closes out, both men went their way. But neither men left for good. Both men went away, but neither men went for good. They did not go for good like the devil did not go for good when he tested Jesus in the wilderness. And the text tells us, and he left Jesus for a little season. See, the enemy always comes many different ways. That's the point I want you to get to, because that's the context for what we're doing, right? They went their way, but they didn't go away. It's one thing for the devil to go. It's another thing for him to win. We want him to go away, right? Get thee behind me, right? And, and that is something you need to understand, because neither Balak or Balaam went away permanently. They went and repositioned themselves for the strategy we're dealing with now. Y'all got that? All right, time to go to work. Go back to point number one. Let's work this through. I'm going to see if I can push you through. I gave you a long, long run, but it's important for those of you who really want to understand your Bible. Plenty more here we could never fulfill. Point number one, a stupid decision. Would you agree with me? Is this a stupid decision? Look at what these crazy people did. These crazy people rose up and engaged publicly in an open scandal against Jehovah. Verse two. And they called the people, that is the Midianites' daughters, the Moabites' daughters, and they called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods. And the people did eat and bow down to their gods. Do you see it? 
and, jo and Israel joined himself under Baal Peor and the anger of the Lord was rightly kindled against Israel. See it? Right. Just might as well. Listen, they just packed up their bags, left the tabernacle, went over to the idol's temple and put on their uniform. This is insane, isn't it? See, you know what you have to do right here when you read a verse like that? You have to say, Lord, give me a revelation of what was behind a scenario like this, that your people would rise up and go join this pagan team. What was it that they heard? What was it that they saw? What was it that inclined them to so openly apostatize against you? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? You got to ask the question when one of your loved ones who say they know Jesus, love Jesus and, and, and walk away from Jesus and act a fool and buy into these crazy religions. You have to say, now what on earth is alluring them to that? Well, under point number one, two things, the prosperity of Shedem. You see it? the prosperity of Shittim. I had already told you that the way Balaam painted the picture of where these people were, they were in a really good place. Now you can do your own study on Shittim. Shittim is bumped up against the city of Moab or the country of Moab. And the country of Moab is near the river Jordan. The river Jordan at this, at this point in time, as well as the Mediterranean on the other side, are an area in which they are prospering. It's an area where it's fruitful. On a physical level, Israel is doing good. They are no longer in that dark wilderness area where there's no water, where there's no nothing but snakes. Remember, they were complaining, no water here, no goods here, no provision here. Now they are in a blessed state where there is provision, where there is fruit, where there is land. Now, what has happened was, as God is moving them into the promises, if you recall, God told them, as you go through the land of Sion and the land of the Canaanites to get here, pay them for water and pay them for bread and tell them you're going to just keep it moving. What I'm sharing with you is this. They are now moving through the territory of the pagan rulers who are experiencing what God called the blessings of the land of Canaan. Am I making some sense? Right. And so as they are moving towards their destiny to cross over, they're experiencing the goodness of the land. Now, you know what God has said about you and me around the blessings. He told us now when you go into the land, and you start acquiring houses and goods and your bank account increases and your full one enlarges. That ain't the case today by any stretch of the imagination, but I just put that out there. Um, as you are prospering, do not forget the Lord your God who has blessed you with all these things. See, the reality is, is you and I get stupid the moment we buy a brand new car. That's what I mean. You're just stupid. Like your value doesn't go up because you got a 2024. Just because you got a 2024, that your value as a person does not intrinsically change. You probably lose IQ points when you buy that car. I, I really want you to stay with me. It's nothing dumber than growing carnal because you increase in wealth. It's nothing more asinine, nothing more ludicrous than to think because you prosper in the flesh, you are also prospering in the spirit. Basically, where Israel is, is what I want to call Hollywood. I want to call this Las Vegas. I want to call this uh, Palm Springs. Can you hear me? Because the desert is turning into a very alluring place for Israel. Now, we've turned the desert of Nevada into a pseudo paradise. And we've done the same things with Palm Springs. And those are wonderful places 
for godly, pious Christians to live right before they go to hell. I'm trying to teach you something. You might get it, you might not. Because, see, the lessons here are always spiritual. It's not geographical. They're all spiritual. It's all about how in the difficult places of life, you and I will find ourselves calling on God because we need him. And then once we prosper, we're no longer calling on God. And then we're being tempted in a way, not by the frontal attack of the snake, but by the overhead attack of the scorpion. His tail gets you where you're not watching. See, this is what Satan had said to God when it came to Job. Touch his flesh and he'll curse you to your face. Did y'all get that? He understood human nature, did he not? When you and I are at that level where what's most important to us is threatened, we will be inclined to curse God. If not curse him, blame him. Because we take a lot of stock in our flesh. What happened to Israel right here could amount to what happened with many, many notable countries, the Roman Empire and other great military mites where they were uh, valorous in war, mighty in victory over their adversaries. And the same night in which they finished the battle, they put their sword down, went to the pub, got drunk and taken out by the prostitutes of the very countries they have subdued got a disease and died. Stupid is, as stupid does. Am I making some sense? All right, I'm gonna nail this down a little bit further. If anyone wants to take away an application here, it is this, remain circumspect. Never ever think you are okay. Never let your guard down. Understand your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He also understands all the tricks where you may be good in a frontal attack. You may be weak when you turn your back. You might be able to fight standing up, but do you have a ground game? There's all kinds of analogies here. Am I making sense? And he's watching you to see your weakness. Point number one, the prosperity of Shedham. Point number two, the power of their what? Prostitutes the power of their prostitutes. I'm getting ready to talk about this because if you look at what happened over in verse two, they called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods and the people ate and the people bowed down to their gods. They're pretty familiar with this mode of worship, aren't they? Remember I taught you that worship was all around sacrifices and then eating and drinking and rising up to play. Didn't Israel already show a pay comp for that back in Exodus chapter 32? When, while Moses is up in the mount, They make a golden calf. It reminded them of the deity worship of the false gods of Egypt that they were in for all that time. And they wanted now some familiarity around their worship. What they knew is you sacrifice to your God, then you eat and drink. And if you're perverse, then you get high and have sex. Did y'all get that? This here is, again, pathological for false religion all around the world when you penetrate it carefully. And this is why in our churches, we've always had problems with sexual promiscuity. Are y'all hearing me? Right. One of the pathologies of human nature is that somehow you think that the ultimate gratification is sex. And so you pervert that gift and almost turn it into a God. But really what it is, is a devil. And it's a devil that has trapped billions across our world. Am I making some sense? 
And, and, you know, I could go a long way around how this is a kind of system of slavery at the at the sociological level and also at the gender level. Am I making some sense? We could drill down into that. I'm simply saying right here you have a picture of the alleged people of God showing their true colors. Because Balaam and Balak have sat down with the whores of the temple and said, this is how you can get them. Get them to come to church. You got a call to worship in verse two, wasn't it? And they called the people. That's a call to worship. Y'all got that? They were ready to be religious in the name of false gods because they looked at the Midianitish women and they said, "Woo, we can ready to do some church. We can ready to have some Holy Ghost up in here. Right. We can ready to have some revelations. This is pagan religion going all the way back. All pagan religions do that. You get our foolish Hindu brothers who like to sit and go mm, and make and make you think that they are androgynous and they never had a, a sexual thought in their life. All, I'm talking about all of the yogis. Are y'all hearing me? And after they get thousands of followers, the next thing you find out is that they got a whole harem of sisters that they are poking every time the curtains close. Man's nature is obvious to those of us who know the truth. All men are liars by nature and there's none good but God. Right. You can sit there and float in a white robe all you want to. I know your nature. And see, this is why a true believer should never succumb to religion. Christianity and religion are two different things. When you know the true and the living God and you know him through Jesus Christ as Lord, he gives you what is necessary to live in all godliness and righteousness. We have mechanisms for when we fall, but our job is not to live the hypocrisy of saying one thing and doing another. That's what our government does. That's what false religion does. That's not what a true believer does. Did y'all hear what I just stated? He can make all grace abound. Right. We talked about this last week. It better. It's better that you go into heaven with no eyes, no arms, no legs than to go in the hell hole with 70 virgins. Am I making some sense? And so you and I are living between the, the medium of a wholesale darkness in terms of what we were before we were in Christ and that struggle between where we are now and where we're going to glory. And we don't get to pretend we're already in glory. That's why, you know, that's why I don't go for these faulty bifurcations. You know me. I just don't go for these black and white narratives. I just really don't. Jesus didn't. John the Baptist didn't. All those folk coming running up on Jesus saying, we be the people of God. Jesus, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're running off at the mouth. I know you. You are fulfilling the lust of your father, the devil, and that's all you can ever do. See, if you don't really know God and the power of his grace, you can't do anything but religion. Y'all hearing me? All you can do is religion. And we get deceived by that system. Israel here is deceived by that system. Jesse, let's let's move on. I want to do something here to show you something extremely important. Why was it that they were so easily duped by these Midianitish women. Why was it that they were so easily set up for the wrath of God? May I say these Midianitish women, I want you to capture the word Midian, Midian, because it's a foreshadow of that major battle that Gideon will have in the book of Joshua. Remember, the Midianites were like 
They were, they were like the sands of the sea coming in every season, raping the land. And Gideon was hiding in a cave to, to winnow a little wheat. Y'all remember that? The Midianites are like, like, like locusts everywhere. Why did God allow them to grow that way? Because he told Israel, if you do not obey me, I will never take your enemies away from you. I will always let them attack you. I will always let them make war with you because you are pretending that you know me and you don't. You are worshiping other gods and you are setting yourself up for judgment. God is not mocked. I'm just letting you know how it goes. See, people don't read their Bible. I do. And good Orthodox Jews, as I'm teaching some of you guys do too, know now. They know what's going on over there. They know it's a consequence of the people pretending to be the people. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, because I've been teaching you guys. This is why you got to be able to rightly divide that word. Right. You got to be able to rightly divide the word to understand what's going on now and understand what's going on in our account. So what was so fabulous about these sisters? Was it because they were brick houses? The young people don't know nothing about what I'm talking about. They don't know nothing about what I'm talking about. Was it because of the olive skin that they had? They were brown and olive. It was a beautiful thing. First Chronicles chapter uh, 1 verse 32. Let me teach you some truth. You got to write this down because even though I'm using a little humor, this is just to give you a break before I tighten the loose. This is First Chronicles chapter 1 verse 32. Who are the Midianites? The Midianites are the children of Abraham. Now, see, people don't really, people pretend to read their Bible. They're not reading their Bible. You guys are getting scholarship every time you come here. Listen to 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 32. Now, the sons of Keturah, stop now, stop. Now, who is this sister? This is Abraham's wife. Remember, Sarah died. <laughs> so, you know, there was no problem with, with weakness for Brother Abraham at that old age. Right. See, a lot of the stuff is in the air and the food today. I'm just telling you right now. Okay, thirty year old boys with with e d d d d d d d d. You got problems. Okay, Abraham was a hundred and something years old. Uh, and, 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 and he married Katira, and I'm gonna leave that alone. But if you follow the the genealogical lines, she's a dark skinned sister. Okay. Uh, we can, this was a common pattern. This is why I don't play the race game. They love the hoodwink you. You know naive Christians around blacks and whites, okay? Almost everything about the gospel started back there among our more darker-skinned brothers and sisters. This is factually true, okay? So Keturah, Abraham's concubine, she bare Zimran, she bare Jokshan, she bare Midan, and she bare who? There it is. Ishbak, Shua, and the sons of Jokshan, Sheba, and Dida. So here, the Midianites are actually the children of Abraham. So the children of Abraham are going to war with the children of Abraham. Can you see it? Yeah, this is, this is, this is, see, now this is where in America we get the word kissing cousins from. This is where we get the word kissing cousins from because we all 
are tied together by the blood of Adam. Did y'all understand that? Somewhere down the line, we all hooked together so you can act a fool if you want to. But you see, you know, you and I will play the race card by melodin, somebody lighter than us and we darker than them or them darker than us and we lighter than them. I've already told you that's a fallacy. It shouldn't be entertained for one moment, right? I told you that, right? Right. I mean, if we were to deal with that on the level of, of the Bible and the history of the Bible, you just would know the Bible did not start in Europe. That is the Japhethites, but it didn't start in Europe. It started way down there with Shem and Ham, okay? I'm helping you guys if you want to understand something relevant to the day because you're being lied to. And it really doesn't matter because God told me through Noah that the Japhethites and the Shemites are going to work together for the coming of Jesus. And they did. That's your New Testament Bible, by the way. Your New Testament Bible is the Japhethites and the Shemites. But the Japhethites and the Shemites had to live first among the Hamites. And the Hamites are our Cushite brethren. And I'm getting ready to talk about that in a minute because there's a brother that's getting ready to rise up and fix this thing. Okay, and it's important for you to know what God is up to. This is called divine irony. Nobody's studying their Bible today. But I gave you this account because I can surmise if I'm up on the brink of entering into the promised land and I'm looking at these hot cuties and they're all over the place and then they got a religion that they want to uh, initiate you into, you can see how some of the brothers, because I mean, now, now, I, I, these are Midianites, right? Yeah, and aren't they cousins? And, 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 and you know, I, I, I know Torah said that we ain't supposed to mix, but, I mean, we've been mixing for a while. It's not a problem, is it? Yes. You see how you can compromise? I'm being facetious, but it's in our text. The two people that are going to be prodigious here in a moment rising up as a major scandal for which our second point will be stupefying will be a man who publicly as a ruler, a prince in Israel will have taken the daughter of a prince of the Midianites and let all Israel know this is how we do it in government. So have you ever heard the word endogamy? I've taught us this before. Don't be afraid of the word. I'm not talking about uh, polygamy. I'm talking endogamy. What is endogamy? When you intentionally marry among your own elite people and your family, first, second, third generation, to keep the money inside the house. Okay? Y'all following me? Sure you are. It's only Christianity that helped us create these categories that spaced us out amongst our ethnic folks so we wasn't, you know, creating all kind of crazy folks, you know, because we married our brother. I have, which you see, the half-brother, half-sister thing started all the way up and ran all the way up through the children of Israel. Is that right? Today, you'd be abhorred to marry your half-brother, half-sister. They did it all the time. Are y'all hearing me? And it was John the Baptist had his head cut off because he was dealing with the Hasmonean tradition of the kings of Judah marrying in the family to keep the money there. Herod is a wicked, wicked, ungodly, pseudo-Jewish leader engaging in that same foolishness. This is intertestament period theology. If you studied it, you come to understand that they say one thing outwardly and behind closed doors they do something else. All right, let me say one more thing before I go on with that. You and I do too. So you can beat up on them if you want to, but I can tell you, if you looked in your family tree, it would scare you to death. It would scare you to death. See, there's none righteous, no, not one. 
There's none good. There's none that seeks after God. I'm so glad I live under the new covenant. How about you? I'm so glad I'm saved by grace. I'm so glad I'm redeemed by the blood. I'm so glad I've been lifted above ethnicity. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. I'm not trapped by ethnic paradigms. Yeah, the text is so very clear. Point number two, a stupefying decision. Do you guys see that? Now, I've told you stupid means lack of intelligence, absence of common sense, and good reason. Now, stupefying is not the same as stupid, okay? It looks a little close in their root, root, but their stem is different. To stupefy is to do something astonishing or shocking or unbelievable. Does that make sense? That was stupefying. That was astonishing. That was unbelievable. Pastor, what are you talking about? Look at it. Look at it over in verse 6. Are you there? And behold... One of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses. Listen carefully. Of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Do y'all see that? Now, you don't know who the one is, but verse 14 will tell you. Now, the name of the Israelite that was slain even slain with the Midianitish woman was who? Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of the chief house among the who? Simeonites. So the Simeonites, along with the Judites and the Benjamites, they're all part of the warrior tribes. All right. So and you guys already should know that that Jacob had a lot of bad things to say about Simeon, about Reuben as well, about Dan as well. These were very, very, very corrupt, wicked men. Did y'all get what I said? And they love doing the crosshatch thing that is getting in bed with their father's wives. There's a lot of perversion going on there. Okay, I just want you to understand your Bible lays it out if you read it carefully. All right. So here we have in our account a son of Simeon who is a prince. He's a ruler, is he not? And he has now went out and got a Midianitish woman of whom the Lord said have nothing to do with them. He's already explicitly told Israel, do not join with their women. Do not give your sons and daughters to their women, for they will turn your heart away from the Lord your God. That's explicit decree, is it not? Now, it's one thing for you to find a raggedy, broke, ignorant brother inclined because he sees a beautiful sister, you know, and, uh, and he take a hit on her and he, he, he gets fortunate. It's another thing when you have the rulers do it because the rulers set patterns. To whom much is given, much is required. He who knew more of his master's will will be beat more severely and rightly so. This is why you don't conflate the leadership with the people. This is why you don't condemn babies with grown men who are clearly volitional in their actions. You don't do that ever because you're not God. Did you hear what I just stated? Right. It's very important for you and I to understand. Our text will make that clear. The judgment is going to come on people who committed the crime. And the others won't because God is a just God. I'm just trying to help you understand your God is not some bloodthirsty deity that just when he gets ticked off is ready to wipe all kind of people out indiscriminately. That's a misinterpretation of even the Old Testament expression of God. Did y'all get that? Very, very important. So 
as we look at this, we are seeing this man did something wild. Notice what the text says again, verse six and seven. So in verse six, and behold, he brought them to Moses in the sight of the congregation, uh, weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, this is absolutely amazing because now a brother responds. What's his name? Phinehas. I'm going to talk about him a little bit more in a moment because he ties into our historical narrative here. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he went in uh, after the man of Israel into the what? Into the what? Into the tent. Where was the tent at? Right next to the tabernacle. How arrogant can you be? Other than the fact that, you know, you can find cocaine in the White House. And don't nobody knows who it is. There's nothing new under the sun. Those self-righteous hypocrites will put laws on you to tell you what you can and you can't do. And they're doing the same thing. And when they get caught, they dare you to use common sense and call it for what it is. They got cameras everywhere on the planet. They got cameras that's watching you that can that can penetrate your house. The capacity to see you in your own home moving around. And we can't find out where the cocaine came from. So the goal here is for legitimate thinking people not to think that you are cool because you buy into the majority position. When the pendulum is swinging and the Wizard of Oz controls it, his job is to throw you off your feet. One day you on the right side and the next day you on the wrong side because you aren't on God's side. I'll leave you with that for now because I don't even care about people not understanding what I'm saying. See, see, if Jesus is not your religion, you will never get it right. If Jesus is not your anchor, your equilibrium, you're going to be tossed to and fro because the goal of the narrative is to one day put some truth on the left hand side. And then the next day, put some truth on the right hand side and keep you and I tossed to and fro by what we call an adversarial landscape bifurcation. This is why people crazy today over why are you holding to this position and why are you holding to that position? And, and, and listen, if you don't ask the question, what is truth? It doesn't matter what your position is. And here it is before us. We are dealing with a man who thought you know what? Moses just told us to kill up every. Didn't you see that crazy judgment that God told him? Listen to it. Listen to this. I know this, this scares you in this day of, of fear about war. I get it. But look at what verse four says. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people, hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be what? Turned away from Israel. Now, I want you to see the turning away. I want you to see the turning away. I want you to see God's wrath has to be turned away. Would you agree? Right. So here's what I'm going to immediately cut out because I don't work for CNN, nor do I work for Fox, nor do I work for CBS. Listen very carefully to me. The text did not say that God said, go around cutting off everybody's head. Did you hear what I just stated? Get the men who did this. Get the men who did this. And this was a temporary act of major, major fierce judgment that was to be public only for a few hours. It was not to run on anybody's camera week in, week out, month in, month out as a propaganda piece. 
It was simply designed to help you know how offensive the behavior these people are engaging is against Jehovah. Their heads would have come down after sunset. Did y'all get that? And that was for an in-house testimony to anybody that thought, you know what? I think I might, I, I think, you know, I, I like Moynihan. I, I, you know, I, 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 like, I like the left. I like what they're up to. I like the right. I like what they're up to, even though it's all contrary to God's word. Listen, listen, the people of God in this text are being told, don't act like your leaders. Y'all got that? Don't act like your leaders. God's judgment is against them. And, and this is the backdrop. Look at verse five. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay every one of his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. See it? That's called justice. That's called justice. It's not unmitigated vengeance. Y'all keeping up with me? Right. The right people are being slain. Not one wrong person is going to be, be slain here. There's no collateral damage. Oops, I'm sorry. This is how you have to think as a child of God. You got to think righteous. Didn't Jesus say it in John 7, 24? Do not judge after the appearance. Don't judge after the flesh. Don't get wrapped up in you being better than somebody else. And therefore they deserve your wrath. Who are you? You are a raggedy, Lilliputian, peon human being that doesn't have the right to judge anybody without first judging yourself. Here's what you and I must know by nature. It doesn't matter what atrocities take place in the world. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be doing it too. And if you don't bring the gospel to the topic at hand, you are not a Christian. Because the gospel is the solution to all this. All this crazy mess can never be solved sword by sword, strength by strength, arm by arm, bomb by bomb. It can only be solved by the grace of God. And if you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. You don't even know your battle here. And so God has done this. And then you get this crazy fool, Zimri, the son of the Simeonite, rising up publicly. He popped up a tent right next to the temple. He took his girl in the tent and they started getting down. Did y'all get that? Right. See, we've already talked this through. Let me go ahead and work this through. I'm not trying to be X-rated or anything, but the Bible's very clear. The Bible's very clear. Look at verse seven through nine. Listen to what it says. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he did what? He did what? Here's what I have to say. What happened to all the other leaders in Israel? Where are they at? See, ask God to give you understanding. Ask God to give you understanding, because your Bible's telling the truth. I've told you this before. A lot of people talk. A lot of people talk. Very few people do the right thing. Eleazar saw it for what it was and did the right thing. Did he not? I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what, what's going on with all these other thousands of rulers? Somebody gave me a whole bunch of pens and ink pens and all that stuff. I'll use them one day. What's going on with all these rulers? What's going on with all the rulers? Somebody help me. What's going on with the Republicans? What's going on with the Democrats? What's going on with the liberals? What's going on with the constitutionalists? What's going on with all these people making all this money and very few of them are standing up for righteousness? 
Where they at? And where are the Christians that say they know the truth about God? Where they at? You, are y'all seeing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? What I'm saying is a lot of people like to see other people deal with it and they don't want to deal with it themselves. I'm here to tell you, Phineas is God's ironic hero. Okay? And I'm asking the question. I only got a few more minutes with you. I'm asking the question to myself. Why would this brother be the only one to rise up in contradistinction to the normalcy of all of these other fearful, weak leaders in Israel? Right? He saw the prince rise up with this chick, set up a tent right by the tabernacle. That fool is ready to distort the gospel, promote a false religion right up against Jehovah. This is called syncretism. Pastor, there you go again. You better get on your phone and catch up with me. It's only going to take you 10 seconds. Syncretism is when you take one religion, mix it with another, another religion. They are two mutually exclusive religions. They don't have anything in common, but you harmonize them because you want to embrace that religion while keeping your own religion at the same time. If God would have let Zimri and that chick live, God would have been a liar. I am God alone, and besides me, there is no other God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Him alone shall you serve. Right. So you and I understand that there is no conflating pagan gods with the one true and the living God. Am I making some sense? And yet I can tell you Christianity is riddled through with pagan gods. That's what Catholicism did. It opened the door wide to all these pagans. I told you that you go to the Vatican and you learn everything about all these pagan deities running up in the Vatican. Ezekiel talked about it. Read it for yourself. Ezekiel 8 through 11. Okay. And so what you see here is God stopping a plague. Because the text said a plague came, didn't it? Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Notice what it says. I'm going to get back to Phineas to close. And those days, and those that died in the plague were what? 24,000. That's serious, isn't it? That's pretty serious. Like some of us are staying close to the foolishness that's going on in, in Israel and Palestine, and the numbers are astonishing to us, are they not? Because we have souls. We don't see just numbers, we see souls. We see souls. That's what plagues us. Souls. And I've shown some of my people that if you look at those people carefully, the cousins and their life conditions ex- are exactly like some of ours when we grew up. The media loves to just give you numbers so you can be apathetically indifferent and non-empathetic to the reality of life being slaughtered and call yourself Christian. Now, see, that's a product of 400 years in this country of privilege. So like, when was the last time you and I were scattering from bombs? See what I'm saying? We can sit behind our stable homes and stable desks and eat our food every day and pretend we have some concern about what's going on and don't have any idea what it's like to be relentlessly bombed by 40,000 bombs in less than three weeks. We have no idea what it's like. 
We give our dear brethren, the, the Israelites, their props for being upset with what happened. We got that. Those of us who understand, we got that. We, they, the, the rulers need to do what's right. But they cannot do what's wrong in the name of doing what's right. And we will not continue to exist as anything of a quasi-reasonable nation when we allow babies to be killed as collateral damage. I'm talking about the babies in the womb. I know y'all going, that's right. I'm talking abortion. God's going to have to soften our hearts, is he not? You're going to have to soften our heart because we're a bunch of hypocritical religious Christians that bind the politics more than we do the Bible. So now let me just deal with this brother Phineas because this is amazing. First of all, point number two, I'm going to just quickly get to that because I'm way overdue. A stupefying decision. Would you agree? Astonishing, shocking, unbelievable. Why would this leader, why would this royal pervert engage publicly with this woman that is prohibited by God, why would he do that if he wasn't almost writing a, a death sentence for himself unless he was mad? I told you this is Balaam. This boy mad. You know what he said? God's policy of punishing those who simply fall in love with Midianite women and, and simply have a, a pecan for their peculiar way of worshiping God. We all worship God our own way. Y'all know that runs through our veins. Do y'all know that? We all worship God our own way. What's wrong with it? And then he going to set up a tent. I mean, that's right next to the Capitol. Now, if you don't know it, for those of you who are keeping up with me, listen, your Bible has that as a trend. Whenever it, once Israel entered into its theomonarchical state and then they left God off, sodomite, whoremongering was a common facet of the temple worship. Did y'all get that? Sodomite houses were adjacent to the capital. Because when you rise in authority, when you become powerful, when you become wealthy and you become prominent and you don't have the spirit of God, you really only have the spirit of the devil. And you can't but do the works of the devil. Uh, See, really what this brother was doing, are y'all keeping up with me? He wanted to legislate Epstein's Island. That'll come home in a moment. All of the politicians who cheated on their wives. I have an agreement with their wives. You know, take a vacation over to Epstein Island. And you don't even know it, but there are six or seven other ones like that too that haven't actually been put on the radar screen. Because what you don't actually understand is there's nothing new under the sun. In the same way Israel collapsed into these malevolent behaviors, our government is doing the same thing. And y'all thinking they're telling you the truth. And the media is complicit with covering them up and hoodwinking you so they can keep getting us after our taxes. And see, here's the sad thing about all this stuff going on around the world. We're paying for it. How many of you guys understand what I'm saying? I just need one more hand. Okay, so you can be mad at me. I do not care. I just want to know you know and are clear on what I'm telling you. Because see, it's on you. I gave you the three categories. You can do something about it. You can speak up about it. Or you can keep it in your heart. This is a basic ethic. I love Islam's uh, pattern on this because what they are aware of, Islam has been in war all the time. They're, they're warmongers too, okay? All your false religions are warmongers. The Catholics are warmongers. The Orthodox are warmongers. 
all, all, whenever you mix religion and politics, you're going to be a beast. Did y'all hear what I just said? You're going to be a beast. The beast of Revelation 12 and 13 is politics and religion. The moment your religion gets subsumed under your government powers, it's going to take away Jesus from you. And all you are is an Old Testament warmonger. That's going to come home in a minute. This is what I mean by you missing Jesus. This is what I mean by you missing the gospel. The gospel is the solution to this. But the reality is that's what's going on in our world. And that's what this brother tried to do. And Phineas is the only one in the system that rises up. Can I talk about him for a moment? Because it's not obvious in the text. So I'm going, now why Phineas? Go look at the text with me. Why Phineas? He sees, can you go back to the PowerPoint? Let me just uh, acknowledge this right quick. He sees under this uh, uh, second point, he sees the revelation of the ruin is among who? The leaders, right? And he sees open rebellion against the judgment of God, does he not? This is what Phineas sees. Do you see it? Do you see that what Zimri is doing is rebelling against revelation? And he's in open rebellion against God's judgment? Right. And the only brother that is willing to do something about it is a brother that has some affinity to both the prince and the chick. Okay. This is, this is something you would get in the study if you was digging down into it. This is something I talked about many years ago, didn't unpack. This is called a stupendous decision. See it? A stupendous decision. And when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it. Now, who is Phineas? He's the son of Eleazar. Who is Eleazar? He's the son of Aaron. Who is Eleazar? He's the high priest now. Why? Because Aaron has what? So Eleazar is the son of Aaron, and Phineas is the son of Eleazar, which means Phineas would be next in line in the dynasty of the priests to be the priest, would he not? So Phineas actually has embedded in his makeup an understanding of his role as a warrior priest. Did y'all get that? Why? Going back to the time when Israel rebelled against God in Exodus 32, 34. Remember what Moses said at that time? Moses says, whosoever is on the Lord's side, what? Let him join with me. And the priest rose up against the children of Israel committing that abominable practice. You guys remember that, right? It was only the priest that did that. In Exodus 34, look at verse 14 through 16. I want to lay this out for you. Who is Phineas? He's a warrior priest. He's a warrior priest. And if you are a priest of God, then you are a warrior priest because your battle is spiritual. It's not carnal. You're waging war against demons. This here is a historical account pointing to a spiritual reality. Which one of you is going to be the priest of your home and rise up with the javelin of God's word and thrust through the demons that are trying to take over your family? For you shall not, for you shall worship no other God but the Lord, for the Lord whose name is Jealous. Verse 15. Maybe this is the account. I think it is. Does it go further? Maybe not. Yeah. There you go. Let lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and go a whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee to eat of their sacrifices. God has already warned Israel not to do that. Did he not? 
It's, it's prior to that, that that Moses talks about this for Israel. Exodus 32, verse 5 and 6. Look at Exodus 32. Exodus 32, 5. And when Aaron saw it and built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. This is why, you know, Aaron, boy, I know you in glory, but boy, you just barely made it in. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up what? So they already had that proclivity, didn't they? Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. And the Lord said unto Moses, go get thee down for your people, which you have brought out of the land of Egypt. Have what? I love this. I already told you. This is when God said, these your people. Verse eight. Verse eight. They've turned aside quickly. Da, 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 da. Let me see here. Look at uh, there's a portion of this verse that I want us to get. That's so absolutely critical to to explaining this. Uh, verse 25. Look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. I just want you to see the warrior motif. You need to get it. And when Moses saw that the people were what? All right. For Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. That is the enemies around them were watching. Look at verse 26 and 27. Here it is. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of who? gathered themselves together unto him. Why? They're getting ready to purge Israel of abomination. Look at the next verse. Here it is. And he said unto them, thus said the Lord God of Israel, put every man his sword by his side, go in and out of the gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. This is not indiscriminate. They were simply dealing with those people who had abandoned the Lord and worshiped those idol gods. Y'all got that? This is not just killing up everybody. The next verse, and then we're going back. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day 3,000 men. That's when it started. started. The role of the priest is to keep the worship of God pure. Did y'all get that? Go back to our text so I can wind this down. This is the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, Phineas. And the text says in verse eight, and he went in after the Israel, went in after the man into the tent and thrust both, both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her what? And the grammar indicates that he wasn't thrusting four or five or six or seven times. It was one thrust. Now, how you get two people with one thrust unless they were joined together and caught in the act? Because it's a symbol of the syncretition, syncretizing of true religion with false religion. God always calls Israel a whore when they go a whoring after false gods. Y'all got that? Now, the practical harlotry, that is an issue in itself. But spiritual harlotry is next level abomination. That's why the book of Revelation talks about the great horror in chapter 17 and 18, because it's giving you the battle of what takes place now throughout time to the end of the world. If God doesn't keep you and me, we go a whoring. It's very clear. James said friendship with the world is enmity against God. James made it very clear that if you love the world, you're an adulterer if you profess to be a believer in Christ. Am I making sense? And this man had loved the world so much, he was willing to let everybody in Israel see him enter into sexual liaison with her publicly. Now, this is the problem with 
porn and Internet and visuals of this stuff because it leaves seeds even when you cut the head off. Did I make some sense? Because David's son did the same thing, put a tent up on the top of the hill and took all of David's wives and brought them into the tent and had sex with them in the public of the people of God. You see how evil we can be even in the name of God. Y'all keeping up with me? Almost done. Let me finish up. I'm just going to finish it up this way. Look at what the text tells us. I love this. I love this. Verse nine says, and the plague was stayed because of what he did. There was a plague that went down. And you know what God does? He doesn't tell us what that plague was. But we know what it is. The plagues of Egypt. He already said, if you disobey me, I'm going to bring the same plagues on you that I brought on Israel. If I had time, I could go deeper, but it's time to shut it down. Phineas's love for God and understanding of his call as a Levitical warrior priest by his one act stomps the judgment of God upon all the people. Did y'all get that? Beautiful, 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 beautiful picture. So under point number four, a sanctifying decision, a sanctifying decision that had this outcome, verse 10 and 11. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned away wrath, my wrath from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them that I consumed them, not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Look at the reward. Wherefore, say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace and he shall have it and his seed after him, even a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Do you see that? Ladies and gentlemen, may I submit to you that Phineas is a great type of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only one man by one act that could forever put away the sin that you and I are plagued with. And that man is Jesus the Christ. There's only one man for whom the Bible says he has a priesthood that lasts forever. His name is Melchizedek, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one man who has dealt with the wrath of God the way he did. And that man is Jesus the Christ. Will you look at the four sub points? It's very easy to deal with. The first thing is that Phineas intervened in the national crisis. Did he not? He intervened in the national crisis. The crisis of humanity is sin. And the only one that properly intervened is the son of the living God. The Bible tells me in the fullness of time made of a woman born under the law, Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law. He intervened. This is what we're going to celebrate next month. The birth of the son of the living God. The Bible tells me he also judged the criminal behavior. When when Phineas takes this spear and thrusts it through Zimri and his bride, it pointed to the day that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
and you remember it because on the day he was crucified, a centurion soldier took a sword and pierced his side and out came blood and water as an atonement for our sin because he was the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was wounded for our trespasses, bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. Did y'all get that? He intervened. He judged us and he mitigated the wrath of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, 24 and 25, after 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you, me, our children, our children's children. But the Bible has made it very clear in verse 24 that the Lord Jesus Christ being justified freely by his grace. You and I justified freely, not by works which we have done, but by his mercy. Has he justified us by the redemption of the pouring out of his life as a lamb? He took my place. I'm Zimri. And some of y'all are Midianitish women. And the sword would have went through us if it didn't go through him. And he made a propitiation. A propitiation for our sin. Verse 25. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation. What is propitiation? Atonement. What is propitiation? Satisfaction for sin. What is propitiation? God's wrath being averted from you and poured upon an innocent lamb so that God is satisfied. And this is why he blesses Phineas. Phineas is a great type of our Savior. That is enough. But let me give you the irony of who he is. Phineas is the product of Eleazar back in Exodus 6.25 marrying an Egyptian sister. An Egyptian sister. This is Exodus 6.25, so y'all can look at that and see it for yourself, just to let you know. About. See, so a bunch of stuff was going on with our Jewish brethren when they were in captivity to our Egyptian brethren for 430 years. Now, ain't nowhere in the world you can tell me that they was going to keep themselves from them beautiful Egyptian sisters. Did that make some sense? Of course. Joseph married an Egyptian sister. That's where Manasseh and Ephraim came from. Y'all got that? Moses married an Egyptian. It was a Midianite that Moses married. Y'all got that? These are all part of the tribes that come out of the Cushite community. Listen to what the text says. Eleazar Aaron's son took him the daughter of who? Pituel. To wife. Pituel to wife. And she bare him who? Phineas' daddy is Pituel. Pituel in the Hebrew means put. They are the family of the Cushites. Who are the Cushites? They are the African tribes of Ethiopia and Egypt. Our brother Phineas is an Egyptian. So as an Egyptian brother, he's looking at a Midianitish sister and he realized that's his cousin that's married to his other cousin. And he says, if it wasn't for the grace of God, it'd be me. And that brother says, since ain't nobody else going to do it, I guess I'm the brother that's going to have to do it. And God always works that way. He loves taking the foolish things of the world. He loves taking the base things of the world. He loves taking people that everybody else despises and raising them up. See, this ain't nothing but the good Samaritan story. That's all it is. 
That's all it is to strip you and I of the false notion of some kind of respect of persons. Am I making some sense? He took a black man and used him to deliver those fools from the corruption they were engaging in because they wanted to abandon the true and the living God. Phineas points to our Lord Jesus Christ, the ones who hold the covenant of redemption for all eternity, the one mediator between God and man, the one everybody in the world hates, but sinners who are in need of the mercies of a brother of whom everybody has despised. I thank God for Phineas. Do you? I know this may, I know this may have hurt. I know this may have hurt, but you must understand that the children of Israel who read Torah more insightfully than you do, they got that story back there. They knew that God didn't take their ethnicity serious at all. They knew that. They knew that God would set them aside and raise up other people over and over and over again. That's your Bible. That's history. This is why you must not fall prey to thinking anything other than all of God's people anytime, anywhere are not a consequence of their ethnicity or skin color. It can never be. To be a true Jew, you are one inwardly whose praise is of God and it has nothing to do with your connection to Abraham. That's what Jesus said. God can raise up stones to worship me. Do y'all hear what I just stated? And if you don't overcome your ethnicity, your prejudice, you're going to be trapped by the narrative out there and fooled every time. Will you stand with me? Get it right. Get it right. No Jew, no Greek, no bond, no free, no white, no black, no male, no female. All are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can use whoever he wants to, whenever he wants to, to represent our lovely Savior in the time of trouble. Can I get an amen? amen. I know it hurts, it's the truth. 